So good morning, my name is Matt Stevens. I've been uh, working here at the church for a while as the Director of Communications and Worship. And uh, this morning when we, well actually not this morning, but uh, the topic that we have here, Worship Through Generosity, when this was presented a couple months back when I first heard that's what we were gonna be doing, my initial thought was, really? Um, And I said that uh, because there's so much tied to this within the church. Um, When we talk about generosity, uh, we think money a lot of times. And for, for whatever reason, that makes us uncomfortable when we're in church. We talk about money. And I think there's reason for that. I think we've seen it abused and I think we've seen it misused in our culture and in churches. And so it makes us hesitant for that. However, it is um, part of scripture. It is part of the way that we are supposed to live our lives. And so this morning, my hope is, is that we focus on the heart of this. And so if you leave with nothing else this morning, that it would be something that confronts us all in our heart about this idea of generosity. So that verse, Matthew 6, uh, from Matthew 6, verse 19 through 21, um, this is scripture from the Sermon on the Mount, uh, where Jesus is basically addressing his people. Okay? His people are those that have thrown themselves upon his mercy, um, those of us that believe that he is who he claimed to be, the Son of God, our Savior, our one and only hope for this life and the life to come, that we, his people, have become citizens of the kingdom of God and that he is our king. Now, some of us in this room may have come to faith at a very early age. Maybe we were raised in a Christian household and we were told about Jesus at an early age. Others of us here maybe came into the kingdom of God kicking and screaming, right? Um, God just kind of uh, got a hold of you. You were hostile towards him and, and he just kind of grabbed your heart and revealed Christ to you and he brought you out of a lifestyle of rejecting and denying him and into the kingdom. Some of us maybe came from some major brokenness, Um, that we were caught up in all sorts of things and God had to come and rescue you out of that and brought you into the kingdom. Others of us here maybe have a rich history of faith in our families. Uh, And some of us here maybe first-generation Christians. Um, Others of us here this morning maybe feel like we have kind of a squeaky clean background and others of us have some skeletons in the closet. Yet, all of us finding grace. All of us finding a seat at the table. And that's salvation, isn't it? All we bring to the table is our history, our baggage, our sin, and our brokenness. And Jesus brings his broken body and his poured out blood, and he welcomes us all in, all of it paid for by him. Salvation is his work. So there's an open invitation for everyone to come and be a part of this kingdom, to come under the saving, forgiving, renewing reign of Jesus Christ. And the only requirement is this, that you be poor in spirit. Right out of the gates in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this, blessed are the poor in spirit. Not blessed are those that hold their merits before God, but blessed are those that throw themselves before the mercy of God. Not those that say, here's my merits, look at everything I've done, this is why I deserve to be a part of this kingdom, but rather those uh, who are fully aware of their brokenness, of their sin, of their rebellion, and they cast themselves before the mercy of God and say, I shouldn't even have a shot at this. So, and the great news is this, he doesn't give you a shot at this. He just gives you salvation. Okay, you get to come in. Um, It's not God giving you attempts, it's God giving you mercy and grace. So we need to understand that right from the start. Um, To be a part of this kingdom, it requires that you be poor in spirit. Now what Jesus is going to say throughout the rest of his sermon is that those of us that are in the kingdom of God, those of us um, that are poor in spirit, that believe in Christ, there is a distinctiveness about their lives, individually and collectively. Okay, they live 
differently. Their lives are in contrast to this world because they live with Christ as their king and the Holy Spirit um, in their life. So this community, this kingdom, becomes salt and light. And it becomes distinct. There's something different about these people in the kingdom, okay? The way that they handle sex, the way that they handle power, the way that they handle money, the way that they handle enemies and covenants and commitments, okay? It's just different. So let's look at verses 19 through 21 and see the distinctiveness that Jesus is going to point out about those that are in the kingdom, those that are poor in spirit, those that believe in Christ, and our distinctiveness when it comes to where we invest our lives, where we invest our resources, Now here's what Jesus is going to say in this passage, that you can invest your life in one of two places. You can invest them in the things of earth, or you can invest them in the things of heaven. And that's the choice that Jesus is going to give us. So verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures. When Jesus speaks of treasures, he's speaking of the resources you have at your disposal. So he is talking about your money. He's also talking about your time, your passion, your energy, your creativity, your intelligence, all of these resources that God has given to you, how will you leverage those things and where will you invest those things in your life? So Jesus says, do not lay up treasures for yourself on earth. Jesus is ultimately gonna call this a fool's errand, okay? But before we talk about what that means, I think it's important that we talk about what it doesn't mean. Okay, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't have money. Poverty, spirituality is not biblical, Okay, money should not be abandoned to the godless. Okay? It should be made, managed, stewarded, and leveraged by the godly and the wise for the common good and those in the kingdom of God. So Jesus is not talking about poverty spirituality where uh, the truly spiritual ones um, embrace a life of radical simplicity and radical poverty. Okay? That's not what Jesus is getting at here. It's not a sin to have money. Jesus is also not saying that you shouldn't enjoy nice things. Okay, God blesses us with things to enjoy. He wants us to enjoy his gifts and to enjoy them rightly. So which means we enjoy them humbly, right? We don't take pride in them. We don't put our identity in them. We enjoy them in moderation, right? Moderation in the quality, but also the quantity of the things that we have. Okay, it's not wrong to have nice things. I think it is wrong um, to have those nice things in abundance without moderation of the quality and, and quantity. Okay, and this is what I believe Jesus is getting at here in this passage. It's not wrong for us to have and enjoy those nice things if we do it humbly and we do it in moderation. Jesus is also not saying it's wrong to save Okay? He's not saying don't save your money. As a matter of fact, the rest of scripture tells us that we should save. And a person that doesn't save for the family, the Bible says, is worse than an unbeliever. Okay? In Proverbs, it says, go to the ant, you sluggard. Don't be lazy. Work hard so that you can store up something for your future and the future of those that God has entrusted to your care. So Jesus is not saying don't have money. He's not saying don't enjoy nice things. And he's also not saying don't save. Okay? That's not what he's saying. So when Jesus says in verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, what he means is don't leverage your resources, your time, your energy, your money, your creativity, your intelligence. Don't leverage those things primarily on yourself. Okay, to primarily increase your your material goods, your worldly pleasures, uh, your own sense of security, your own physical comforts. Jesus, Jesus says that's not the proper use of your resources. If it's primarily about you, about your security and your comforts and your pleasure and your enjoyments, Jesus says you've misused the resources that God has given you and you've invested them in the wrong place. Another way to say this, don't be an individualistic, consumeristic materialist. 
an individualistic person, everything terminates on them. If they get a raise in their job, they see it as an opportunity to increase their standard of living, right? To improve their quality of life, to get a bigger house, to get a nicer car, to wear nicer clothes, okay? As my income goes up as an individualistic person, mindset is my income went up, so the things that I can have, I can enjoy more, I can get more things, okay? Everything terminates on you as an individual. Consumeristic, okay, that my joy and my satisfaction come from consuming goods, Okay, consuming experiences and sometimes even people, right? Where life is found is in spending, is in consuming. If I can just amass more things, if I can just get more things, that, that um, I'll be a more happy individual, right? And that's consumeristic. A materialist, and that's someone who believes that the world and all its pleasures is all that there is. Okay, life is a big party, right? So eat, drink, and be merry. Okay, that this is, this is all there is to life, so enjoy everything you can until you die. Um, live it up, right? That's a materialist. So this is all there is. So I'm going to consume every pleasure, every good, every experience, and sometimes even people so that I can really enjoy my life. Because really, it's all about me. It's all about me. It's all about my security, my happiness, my privilege, my pleasure, my joy. An individualistic, consumeristic materialist does not fit into the distinctiveness that Jesus is talking about when it comes to those that are in the kingdom of God. This is, uh, Jesus is, is saying, I'm calling you to a completely different way of life. Okay, and he says the same thing in Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 13. It says, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me judge and arbiter over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. You see that? Don't be a materialist. Your whole life isn't about what you can gain, what you can own, what you can consume, or what you can possess. Then he goes on, verse 16. Then he told him a parable, saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Individualistic, consumeristic, materialist. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. He's viewed life as an individualistic, consumeristic, materialist, that this is all there is. So eat, drink, be merry. It's all about my increase, my pleasure, my security, my joy, my goods. And so I'm going to consume all that I can. Notice what the guy in the parable doesn't do. He doesn't consult God. He leaves him completely out of the equation, okay? He even, he even says he thinks to himself, he says to his soul, soul? He hasn't even brought God into the equation. He's a materialist. This is all there is. Instead of seeing himself as one made by God, made in God's image for the purpose, for God's purpose, and saying, God, what would you have me do with this abundance? Or what would you have me do with my resources? He just consults himself. He's a materialist. And Jesus warns against this covetousness of wanting more, increasing personal security, trying to increase my own joy, my own pleasures, my own comforts, and failing to be rich toward God. 
This is the problem with the man in the parable. He was not rich toward God and Jesus calls him a fool. He says it's foolish because in the end, you're gonna part with your stuff, right? You're gonna part with it in the end and so it's foolish. So if we look back to Matthew 6, the passage, Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. In other words, it's foolish to live a life or to live that way because your treasures, when you store them on earth, are susceptible to decay. It's all here today and gone tomorrow, right? Proverbs 23 says it like this, verse four. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it is gone. For suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. Those of us with kids understand this, right? You have money and then all of a sudden it's gone, right? I, uh, my son is, plays competitive soccer and I tease the manager all the time that I just kind of sign my check over to her at the beginning of every month. But this is what Jesus is getting at, right? It's the transient nature of wealth and riches. It's here today, it's gone tomorrow. It's susceptible to loss. It's susceptible to inflation. It's susceptible to volatile markets. So don't put your confidence in it. Don't put your joy in it. Don't put your hope in it. You will eventually part from it. It's foolish to invest all your resources in a place where you know you're going to lose it. Okay, it's like if you were to sign a six-month lease on a rental house. You move into this rental house and then you dump your entire life savings into this rental house. That's foolish. You don't get to keep it. You leave in six months. So you're investing poorly. So it's like, um, it's like this in life, right? To invest in stuff is to put our energies and our efforts into things that we will eventually lose. Instead, the Bible says, be rich toward God. Invest in heaven. So Jesus says in verse 20, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. In other words, you invest not in the things of earth, not with a mindset of the individualistic consumeristic materialist who is just trying to keep up resources for yourself, but if you will invest them in heaven, they will be untouchable there, not susceptible to decay or to loss or to thievery, and you will not lose them. So a materialist will hear that and think, well, that's just crazy. Something that's great about this passage. This is all happening on the way up to the resurrection. Because the resurrection tells us this. There is life beyond this life. When Jesus rose from the dead, he was showing us that there was life beyond this life. There is another life that's coming for us. We are not materialists. This whole YOLO mantra, you only live once, not true. You do not only live once. You will live forever. You will live again. Okay, the scriptures say there will be a resurrection of the just and the unjust, one to glory and one to judgment. This is not the only body that you will have. This is not the only wealth that you will ever have. You will live forever. And some will live away from the glory of the Lord um, in darkness and despair forever, apart from Jesus. And that's why we need the gospel. There is life beyond this one. The quality of which, in some measure, is determined by the faithfulness of the life you're living now. Okay, now please don't miss that because this is a massive New Testament theme, but there is life beyond this one. The quality of that life beyond this one is in some measure determined by the faithfulness of the life that you live right now. Now listen, we are saved by grace apart from works. Okay, there's nothing we could ever do to merit God's acceptance. Okay, it is solely through faith in Jesus Christ. We are saved by grace through faith apart from works. But 
we are saved unto good works. Okay, and we will be rewarded for those works. Every time we give ourselves to the things of God, to the works of God, uh, to invest in the kingdom of God, we're laying up treasures for ourselves in heaven. There are eternal rewards promised to those who will invest their lives in the things that matter to God. In other words, God will be rich with rewards towards us in eternity if we are rich towards him now. Renouncing consumerism, renouncing individualism, renouncing the idea of materialist, okay, and investing our time, our money, our energy, our intelligence, our creativity, our passions into things that matter to God. And when you start leveraging your time and your money and your energy and your intelligence and your creativity and all of those resources that God has given you, and you start investing them in the things that matter to God, there's a great reward that's been promised to you. Through investing in the things that matter to heaven, you're laying up for yourselves treasures in heaven. The resurrection shows us that there's life beyond this life. For those of us that have said yes to Christ, there's an eternal glory waiting for us. Yet there's even still on top of that grace, another grace, a grace of rewards. And those rewards are determined on how faithful you live your life here. And according to Jesus in verse 20, dependent upon how you invest your resources here in this life. Now, if we're going to invest our time and our energy and our money and our passion in the kingdom of God, what will that require? Well, I have three things for you this morning. The first thing is this. You have to have a knowledge of God. In other words, what matters to God? So if you get a new job or you have a new boss or in the language of the New Testament, a new Lord, um, you want to know what will please that person. And so the scriptures say to be wise with your time, um, to discern what is pleasing to the Lord, and then go and do that. Having a knowledge of God, we're asking the question, what matters to him? Okay, what does God care about? What are his interests? What is the heart of God? Okay, and over and over again, we see the same things repeated in scripture. His glory matters to him. His renown matters to him. His worship in all the earth matters to him. The church matters to him. Christ loved the church and gave his life up for it. The nations matter to God. Okay, his desire is that men and women from every people and tongue will come into the saving knowledge of Jesus. And there are literally millions of people on this planet that have yet to hear that. And that matters to God. He cares about that. His heart is burdened for that. What else matters to God? Your lost neighbor matters to God. Your lost coworkers matter to God. The poor matter to God. The oppressed matter to God. The orphan, the widow, these matter to God. The weak, the powerless, the vulnerable. That's what matters to God. And so when you read scripture and you start to get a sense of what is God's heart? What is he about? What does he love? Where's his heart focused? And it's focused on those things. His name, his renown, his kingdom, the nations, the lost, the weak, the vulnerable, the powerless, injustice, cruelty, oppression. Those are the things that capture God's heart that he wants to address. So you have to know him, which means you have to read God's word. The second thing is this, you need a knowledge of yourself. And I mean two things by this. One, know where you're susceptible to materialism, consumerism, and individualism, okay? And fight it, repent of it. Okay, have people in your life that will hold you accountable to it. Later on in, in verse 22, Jesus in Matthew 6, Jesus says this, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? In other words, it all starts with how do you see life? 
How do you see ultimate reality? So you have to have a knowledge of yourself, how you're tempted to, to leave the story of God and instead embrace the story of materialism or individualism or consumerism. So know yourself. And the second part is this, know how you are wired. Know how you're wired. How are you gifted? Where are you passionate? What physical and spiritual needs are around you that you can see and touch? Maybe that's God saying, step into that. Invest in that. Invest your time into that. Invest your money into that. Your energy into that. Your passion into that. What injustice or brokenness in this world um, makes you angry? Human trafficking? We have a ministry here that we can get you plugged into. Okay, that you can literally go out and, and help people find children to rescue them out of a life of sex slavery. Does the culture make you angry? I know I hear a lot of time there's complaints about it. How about investing in the children here at the church and impart God's wisdom into the next generation? What about the youth? About investing and serving them, investing your time and your energy into them because they're doing battles on the front lines of spiritual warfare. Okay, because if we're just sitting around talking about it, complaining about it, we're really not investing in it, are we? So what is it when you see it, it makes you furious? Okay, not because it offends your moral sensibility, sensibilities, but um, because, you know, it breaks the heart of God. Um, and you feel like you need to step into it. So know yourself. Know how you're wired. Um, and that can be an indication of, of where God's telling you to invest. The third thing is this, intentional sacrifice. So let me explain what I mean by that. If you're gonna invest your money or your energy or your time or your passion into the things of God, his local church, his mission, if you're going to be invested in the things of God, there are gonna have to be some other things that you intentionally don't invest in, that you intentionally sacrifice. So my wife and I grew up here in the church, in the, in the youth group, and I remember there was plenty of people that invested in the youth in those days, but um, a family that I will always remember and never forget doing that is Skip and Betty Wilbig. Their house and home was always open to the youth. Um, they gave a lot of their time and, and energy to us. They even invested in putting in a pool in their house so that kids could come and just run amok there. And so they invested a bunch of, uh, a bunch of energy and time into that, and which also means they sacrificed time that they could have been doing something else, right? And I can hear my wife thinking right now, this doesn't mean we're investing in a pool. <laughs> so don't leave here with that idea. That's not what I'm saying. Um, however, that, that is true, right? Okay, if you're going to invest in one thing, especially your time, okay, you're going to make an intentional sacrifice investing in another. And the way you determine what to invest in is by understanding this. There is an objective scale of value to everything in this world. So please don't miss that. There's an objective scale of value to everything that exists in this universe. Not everything is the same. Not everything is of equal value. Not every investment is of equal importance. Okay, this is why we can say, if we look at someone who's serving the poor in another country, we don't put them on the same playing field as someone who's 35, living at home, playing Xbox all day, right? We don't look at both of those people and go, wow, they are both investing a lot of time and effort and energy and passion into this thing, do we? No, on a scale of value, one of those things matters. And the other one is embarrassing, right? Okay. So we understand this. There's an objective scale of value to everything in the universe. And when you order your loves in keeping with that scale of value, and this is so important for us, okay? When you understand that there is an objective scale of value, 
How you become a happy, healthy, productive human being is that you order your loves in keeping with that scale of value. And if you follow that scale of value, at the very top is the triune God. Okay, there is no one greater than him. That's why you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You are to love most what is most lovely. And he is most lovely. You will never be happy. You will never be happy when you love something more than God because it does not find itself on that same place in the scale of value. There was an interview that was done with Tom Brady years ago. He's been playing for what, 100 years now, so who knows when this was. <laughs> okay, but I, I, I remember, and I've heard this illustration before, um, but he was being interviewed after he won, I don't know which Super Bowl, I mean, I don't even know how many he's won now, but uh, he was asked by this interviewee or interviewer, uh, you know, you've, you've won Super Bowls, you're, you're famous, you're a celebrity, you're a multimillionaire, you're married to a supermodel. Are you at the apex? Are you, is it, what's left? Is there anything else? And he, and I'm paraphrasing all this, but he essentially said, paused there and he said, I hope not. So even with all the things the world says, this is the greatest that you can have. He wasn't fully satisfied. There's another person like that in the Bible, Solomon. So we need to order our loves in keeping with the scale of value, okay? And the reality is, is that there are people that neglect the things of God because of disordered loves, okay? They love the wrong things too much. They love sports too much. They love their careers too much. They love their car too much. They love vacations too much. They love their house too much and they love their possessions too much. It's not wrong to love a house or a car. Okay. There are measures of joy that come from everything that we love. Um, everything has a capacity uh, to give you joy from rightly loving it. Okay. The problem is, is when you love uh, those things too much and you expect too much joy from it. Okay. That's where your whole life starts to fall out of order. You'll spend hours watching decorating shows on HGTV. You'll spend hours watching Sports Center over and over, which is like the same show over and over and over, nonstop, all day. Okay, we'll binge watch Netflix. Uh, we'll we'll have spend an excessive amount of time on hobbies or on a video game or, or anything, okay? What happens is, is that we've taken that scale of value and we've loved things wrong. Okay, there's things higher up on the scale of value that we've loved too little. And there's things that are lower on the scale of value that we've loved too much. And this is what Jesus is getting at here. So do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Understand there's a scale of value and the things that matter to God are the things that should matter to you. If you're gonna invest your life in the things that matter to God, it will also be a choice to intentionally sacrifice some of the things that don't. So there are probably gonna be some scaling back that we all need to think about doing, right? We've given too much love, too much time, too much energy to things that don't really matter to God, right? That on that scale of value, are just kind of low, all right? They rank low. So for instance, if you're gonna get in a small group, if you wanna really invest in people's lives around you and you want them to invest in your life and follow Jesus together in community together, okay, like the scripture commands us, there may be some other things in your life that you may have to give up, that you may have to sacrifice. If you're gonna regularly give to your local church in obedience to Jesus, there's probably gonna be some things that you're gonna have to give up. C.S. Lewis said it like this, we should give until it actually hurts. Until we actually feel the prick of our generosity. Until it pains us, until it pains us, right? We feel the pain of it. 
If you're gonna serve in a ministry, really if you're gonna give time to anything, okay, it's gonna be an intentional sacrifice of your time to other things. Not only is this intentional sacrifice to some of the things on that scale of value, but we also have to face the fact this, that we're not omnipotent, we're not omnipresent, okay? In fact, I think, I think social media is kind of our attempt at that, right? We wanna be everywhere. We wanna know everything. We wanna see what's happening everywhere. We wanna be involved in everything. We are constantly trying to jump out of our own limitations. We're not omnipotent and we're not omnipresent, which means this. You can't be a part of everything that weighs on the heart of God. You just can't. You also, what you also can't do is take your passion and your gifts and project it on everyone else and measure their spirituality on how passionate they are about the things that you're passionate about. Does that make sense? Okay, so if you're really, really passionate about helping the poor, guess what? God is too, and every Christian should be. But when you start to measure spirituality on someone else's, uh, of spirituality of someone else's on how their passion mirrors yours, you're basically passion projecting or, or gift projecting, and that's unfair, okay? We can't invest our lives in every need that weighs on the heart of God. That's why we have the church and the body, okay? Um, but we do have to drill down deep in a few places. Um, and that comes back to knowing yourself, being willing to intentionally sacrifice. That doesn't mean I don't pray for those things. It doesn't mean that I don't care about those things. It doesn't mean that I don't encourage or give to other Christians that are devoting their lives to those things. Um, but I know myself, I know my energy, I know my resources, and importantly, I know my passion. Okay, I know the things that God has put on my heart, and I'm gonna drill down deep there. So let me say this in closing. If none of this resonates, maybe your heart isn't interested in the things of God. You hear this and none of it really matters to you. So notice what it says in verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, your heart follows your investment. Wherever you put your treasure, that's where your heart is going to be. So if I fix my attention and I spend my energy um, and I try to amass everything the world prizes, Okay, power, money, comfort, hobbies, um, status, position, whatever. If I fix my attention on that, if, I sp if that's what I spend my energy on, then my affections and my loyalties are gonna be centered there. They'll have a monopoly on all my affections. Whatever you intentionally invest in, your heart gets tethered to. Whatever you invest your resources and your life into, your heart will get tethered to that. So don't be surprised if you're not intoxicated with the things of God when you're drinking so deeply from the well of this world. If you want your heart tethered to God, put your treasure in the things of God, the things that matter to God. Invest your time and your energy and your money and your creativity and all of those things into the things that actually matter to God. And you'll find that your heart becomes more and more tethered to God when you do that because that's just the way it works. Ultimately, if you want your heart to grow warm towards God, then you have to understand and see the treasure that Jesus sought, okay? Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And we need to see that, that Jesus sought treasure in heaven. Did you know that? Do you know what that was? The treasures that he sought? It was you and I. You and I were his treasure. We were his prize. We were his inheritance, he denied himself and invested the fullness of himself. He gave himself up for us that, he might, that we might be his people, that we would be his possession and his prize, 
his inheritance. And as you, as you see Jesus making you his treasure, then we will begin to make him ours. So let's pray. Father, we're thankful for your word and how it confronts our hearts. We know that you have the truth. You have um, the answers to life. But God, we need to be confronted with scripture uh, that, that we can um, check our own lives, that we have a thought. Maybe we think we're doing really well. Maybe we think we do have a, a generous spirit. Um, but God, you challenge our hearts. There's a lot of, of deep things there. And uh, people that live in a distinctiveness in the kingdom of God that you tell us live a certain way and it's different from this world. So if our life starts to mirror the way this world looks and chases after the things that the world chases after, we need to repent of that. We need our hearts turned away from that. We need our hearts focused on the things that you're focused on. Love the things that you love. So Father, we ask that you would confront us in this place. You would change our hearts to be more like you so that we can also live a distinctive life in this world to be a light in the darkness, to be salt and light to this earth. Father, we love you. It's your name we pray. Amen.